We often think that last week's verses where we had Esther's decision are the highlight of the action in this book of hers, the main event. And it is certainly the part that we remember and we talk about the most. But this week's chapters have as much drama as any Hollywood movie and a big dose of poetic justice. Welcome, I'm Michelle Berkey, and this is Praying Scripture, a weekday broadcast where we use God's own words to honor Him and to talk to Him about the things going on in our life and in our world. We are in episode 205 today, and we are going to pray about the aftermath of Esther's decision, what happens next. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about life and a little bit about prayer. This week, this last week for me felt really busy, but it always feels busy at this time of year. School is winding down, and we actually took my son out to dinner last night as a congratulations for all of his hard work this year. He had really stepped up in how he approached his schoolwork and the level of classes that he took. He took AP classes for the first time. And so uh, we just wanted to say congratulations and we see this hard work that you put in. So we're sitting there waiting on our food and we had this beautiful exchange. My awesome husband, Tim, in the comments, looked at my son and said, I want to tell you three things that I am really proud of. And he said, it's this and this and this. He detailed them all out really specifically. And Cody looked back at him straight in the eyes and said, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I tell you this, well, just know that not all of our conversations with and about our teen are that great or that pleasant, but... I was really reminded by that moment, this like two minute moment in time about how important our words are and how important it is to speak life into people. So grab someone around you today and make a point to tell them specifically, intentionally, speak slowly, look them in the eye and give them details about something that you appreciate them for or are proud of them about. Let's make a habit of speaking life into the people around us. So let's talk about prayer for a few moments. One of the big struggles that people have, or at least my audience, because this is one of the problems that they tell me that they have, is uh, both boredom and losing focus in prayer. And that got me thinking about the kinds of conversations that we have with people. And we get bored in people-to-people conversations, but It's not like this normal complaint about conversations. I don't hear it talked about like I do when we're talking about prayer. And I wanted to take a moment and think about all the different kinds of conversations that we have with people. I mean, think about this. We have sharing our day kind of conversations after you come home from work. And these are the things that happened to me. We have simply information exchanges. I need to pay you for this bag of vegetables that I want to take home. We have legal conversations. We have deep meaning of life conversations. We have angry conversations. We have empathetic ones where we do more listening than talking. And I'm sure that I could go on endlessly describing different kinds of conversations that we have with the people that we're in relationship with. Even the people that we are most intimately involved with, our family or our best friends, we have a huge variety of kinds of conversations. So why do we tend to approach conversations with God with only one kind of conversation in mind? Our conversations with Him can be just as variable, just as wide-ranging as our conversations with people. And maybe if we stop approaching prayer as this 
obligatory list of issues that we have, focus and boredom will be less of a problem in our in our prayer life. There's far more ways to have ongoing conversations with God than simply uh, a list of things of requests that we have. Um, certainly, it's bigger and, it, and the conversation should be more varied than even simply the praying scripture that we do here. As we have ongoing conversations with people throughout the day around us, we can have ongoing conversations with God. Some of those will be worship. Some of those will be exchanges about our day. Some of those will be questioning the meaning of life. Some of them might be angry. Some of them might be simply talking together about actions that we've seen or reflecting on things that we want to think about. And so there's all of these different kinds of conversations that we can have with God as well. All right, so let's get to the meat of the broadcast today. We are going to start in worship with Psalm 150, verse 2, and it says, Praise Him for His powerful acts. Praise Him for His abundant greatness. And so we're just going to follow that instruction today and praise Him for those two things. Will you join me? Father, you have certainly detailed powerful acts throughout Scripture. I mean, when we think of miracles... We can list so many of them. Jesus changing the water to wine, parting the Red Sea, the burning bush, just all of these powerful acts that show your power. But you have those miracles in all of our lives as well. Help us to see those miracles. Help us to sense your power at work. But we honor you today for your powerful acts, whether they are historical and whether, or whether they are in our lives at this moment. We know that you are working powerful things across this world, and we praise you for that. We know that you are, whether visible or invisible, those things that you do are mighty. And we honor you for that. Um, not only the effort that you make on our behalf, but the fact that you are powerful and mighty to do these things. We praise you for your abundant greatness your abundant greatness. You are full of greatness and might. And we praise you and honor you for that today. We recognize that your, <laughs> that your greatness is far more bigger, more abundant, more just more than we can possibly imagine. And we honor you this morning. As we have this time together, I'm, I'm so grateful that we do. But I ask the Spirit that you would step in and, and um, and enlighten us the way we each need to be enlightened. Teach us what we need to learn. Help us hear what we need to hear. Speak to us each individually about what we need to take away from these verses. I pray that you would be glorified by what we do and say and think in this space. It is a gift both to me <laughs> to be able to do this, but a gift that we give to you as well. And I, I pray that um, the intent that it is offered Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <laughs> we have reached the turning point in the book of Esther today, where the drama and the tension are the highest. And since we are only pulling sections out to pray for, I'm going to give you an overview, a rundown of what happens in the three chapters that we're cut, the three chapters that we're covering this week. We're in chapter five, six, and seven of Esther. Last week, we got to the point where Esther responded to Mordecai's request that she go to the king on behalf of her people. 
She responded, I will go, and if I perish, I perish. So what comes next? We kind of stop at that verse, typically. But there's a whole dramatic finish to this book. Um, It climaxes, and then there's even more action after that. So what happens next? Well, after three days of fasting in preparation, Esther enters the inner court of the king, this place where no one is allowed to come without invitation. And she stands there. And I am sure she is wondering what her fate will be. The king is immediately flooded with goodwill toward her, and he extends his scepter. She touches the end of it, and this means that her life has been spared for this breach of etiquette. The first hurdle in saving her people has been crossed, but now she has to convince the king to do so. So King Xerxes asks her, what can I do for you? What do you want? And he promises to grant her anything up to half his kingdom. And she simply invites him to a banquet, along with Haman. They eat together, and the king asks again, what what would you like, Esther, anything up to half my kingdom? And she says, you know, just come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow and eat with me again, and I'll tell you. So Haman leaves the banquet, extremely pleased with himself, and then walks past Mordecai, who will not bow or acknowledge him. He goes home, gathers his friends and family, lists his great wealth and accomplishments, but says, but I can't enjoy any of those because of Mordecai. What can I do? So they suggest building a gallows and hanging him on it. Haman loves that idea, so he orders this huge gallows to be built, 75 feet tall. Now, this wasn't a gallows like we think about it, with a rope and a noose. It was typically a tall pike, sharpened at the top end. This would have been huge in this case. At current standards, 75 feet is about five stories tall. Humongous pike. And people were impaled on them and pulled down over this point of this pole by their legs. This was a long and excruciating death. Meanwhile... That night, in the king's palace, he can't sleep, and he wants a bedtime story. Uh, So he calls someone to read to him from the daily recording of court life. And what happens to come up, what, quote, just so happens to come up, is the story of how Esther had saved his life. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we had this story of, of how, I'm sorry, Mordecai had saved the king's life by informing on these two people that were plotting against him. And they had investigated. It turned out that this plot was real. They had been arrested and executed and Mordecai credited with saving the king's life. So the king says, well, what did we do for Mordecai in, in response to this action? And he finds out that no reward had been given. And this was a serious social faux pas in that era. In that era. So Haman happens to be coming in at that point to ask for Mordecai to be executed. And the king says, what should be done for the man that I want to honor? Well, Haman's all like, he's obviously talking about me. So dress him in the king's clothes, put him on the king's horse, parade him through the streets, yelling in front of him about how awesome he is. Perfect, says the king. You go and do all of that yourself for Mordecai. Can you imagine how much that would have gotten to Haman to have to do that? But he does. He does these things. But then he goes home to his family and he's like, oh, can you imagine what I just had to do? This is terrible. And his wife says, 
you are done for. <laughs> if Mordecai the Jew is being honored by the king, your days are numbered. And as soon as she makes this prophetic statement, Haman is whisked off to the banquet with Esther and the king. And I will read you the rest of that story in a few minutes. All right, that was a long summary. But so much happened to bring together all these different uh, things, threads that had been previously put into the story. So much comes together in these three chapters that I thought it was important to, to give you the, the chronology of what happened. So let's pray. We're going to start with Esther walking into the king. Esther 5, 1 and 2 says this. On the third day, this is after fasting, on the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace, facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom, facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Esther, Queen Esther standing in the courtyard, she gained favor with him. The king extended the gold scepter in his hand toward Esther, and she approached and touched the tip of the, of the scepter. Let's pray. Father, I recognize your working in this. Esther, Queen Esther, now that she has made this decision and sort of transformed herself into this offering for her people, she's now Queen Esther throughout the rest of the book. Queen Esther is given favor in the eyes of the king, and that was your work. It was your work to build this relationship, to put her in the position to create goodwill on, on the, on the, in the king toward her throughout their relationship. But this moment, as Esther stands there, I am sure, both in faith, <laughs> but also trembling, what's going to happen to me? You cause favor to arise in the king towards her, and this extreme generosity, this I'll give you anything up to half of my kingdom, is, is sort of this uh, shorthand for saying, just ask. I want to be publicly generous to you. I want to look good in front of my people, but I, I want to I give you the desire of your heart. What is it? And Esther's wisdom as she stands before the king, as she had prepared for this moment, as she stands there and touches the end of the scepter, knowing that you have worked on her behalf to spare her life, must have filled her both with confidence and with faith. And I ask that we would both have this obedience to follow through in the things that you ask of us, even if they are big and scary, even if our life depends on them, even if our life is on the line, even if it will cause us to be exposed in whatever way, in whatever way that means, whether that is emotionally vulnerable, physically vulnerable, spiritually exposed. I, I pray that we would obey your commands, that we would have this time of um, preparation, but then actually follow through in action as Esther did. Bring us to the place where we are in the midst of our obedience and we are transformed as Esther was transformed into Queen Esther. Esther 5, 9 through 13 says, this is after the banquet, that day Haman left full of joy and in good spirits. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate and Mordecai didn't rise or tremble in fear at his presence, Haman was filled with rage toward Mordecai. 
Yet Haman controlled himself and went home. He sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh, to join him. And then Haman described for them his glorious wealth and his many sons. He told them all how the king had honored him and promoted him in rank over all of the other officials and the royal staff. What's more, Haman added, Queen Esther invited no one but me to join the king at the banquet she had prepared. I am invited again tomorrow to join her with the king. Still... None of this satisfies me, since I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate all the time. Father, when it's, when it's put like this, all of the wealth and the honor and the privilege and the position and the influence and the authority that Haman had in the court, all of these honors and privileges of family, wealth, yet... Because Mordecai and his action, he cannot enjoy any of it. None of it satisfies him because of this one thing. It sounds kind of ridiculous, but we do the exact same thing. We have, I mean, pretty much no matter who is in listening to my voice and what our circumstances in the world, when we compare overall, we are so wealthy and privileged compared to most of the world. We have so much, and you have given us each so much. And yet, there's often this thing that we don't have, or this thing that we desire that we feel is out of our reach, or this thing that just sticks and doesn't allow us to appreciate what we have. You take thankfulness so seriously. We treat it as sort of an afterthought. But with you, it is critically important to our spiritual health. Teach us to be grateful for all of the things in our life that you have given us and not be staring at that one thing that we feel is withheld. Instead, fill our hearts with gratitude and contentment and not rage and jealousy, and desire for that thing that you have not given us. Teach us to be the opposite of Haman, to be filled with gratitude and and recognizing the gifts that you have given us. Esther 6.6 says, okay, so (laughs) this is after the point where Haman is in the court about to come in to ask for Mordecai to be killed, to be executed, for him to be allowed to execute Mordecai. Haman entered and the king asked him what should be done for the man that the king wants to honor. Haman thought to himself, who is it that the king would want to honor more than me? Let's pray. Haman's self-centeredness and self-worship is revealed in these verses so clearly. Father, we also tend to carry this self-centered way of moving through the world. It is all about me. Forgive us for that because it's not the way you designed us to be in your kingdom. It's not the way Jesus was. It was never about him. It was always about you. So help us move through our life without this same kind of sense that Haman had about his own, uh, oh, I was trying to think of the word and it just escapes me, that he, feeling that he is owed, that he should be 
magnified, glorified, this self-centered approach to life. I pray that you would weed all of the roots of that out of us. And we all have it in some form. But help us uh, like weed it out like a gardener pulling all the roots and getting all of the little individual small rootlets that sink down into the dirt. I pray that we would be able to weed all of that out of our hearts. This, I deserve, it's about me, I should be honored, this self-centeredness approach to life. Get rid of it in us. We, we need you, <laughs> we need your help to do that. All right, and the last passage for today is the, uh, is the, the final ending of these chapters. It is Esther 7, 3 through 9. I think there's maybe one or two verses after this, but this is the, the bulk of it. This is after the king asked Esther for the third time, what do you want? I will give it all to you. Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if the king is pleased, spare my life. This is my request, and spare my people. This is my desire. For my people and I have been sold to destruction, death, and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. King Ahasuerus spoke up and asked Queen Esther, Who is this, and where is the one who would devise such a scheme? Esther answered, The adversary, an enemy, is this evil Haman. Haman stood terrified before the king and queen. The king arose in anger and went from where they were drinking wine to the palace garden. Haman remained to beg Queen Esther for his life because he realized the king was planning something terrible for him. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, would he actually violate the queen while I am in the house? As soon as this statement left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs said, there is a gallows 75 feet tall at Haman's house that he made for Mordecai, who gave the report that saved the king. The king said, hang him on it. Now, the verses that follow say that they did. Poetic justice, right? Okay, let's pray. Father, as a, as a fiction storyteller, I can make all of these things happen in the way that brings poetic justice and a satisfaction to an ending. But I can't control events like this. You are the only one. And we see so many coincidences in this text, so full of it that it can't possibly happen without you behind the scenes. The king wakes up and, want, and, and wants a, or can't sleep and wants a story. And the one that is read to him is about Mordecai. And he decides to ask what happened for him. And so he, has, he is honored by Haman in front of, in, in public. Like all of these things, all of these things indicate that you are working. And when we look around and for what seemed to Esther and the Jews as they lamented and looked around and saw no hope. The king's law could not be changed. There was no hope for their salvation except for you. When they look around and circumstances look utterly bleak, when we look around and don't see you in our world, when things look utterly bleak in our own lives, remind us that you are working 
that you control circumstances and that you are there. Esther's wisdom in how she approached this this story um, in or this not story, this request in not just blurting it out in public the first thing as she's um, received into the king's presence, but her wisdom in how she goes about it uh, is has to be God-given. And I ask for your wisdom in our own choices and our own decisions as well. I ask that you would guide us, direct us in our own lives as you directed Mordecai and Esther in these critical moments. Our moments might not save a people from annihilation, but they are just as important to us and to individuals. And you care just as much for the individual as you do for a people. And so I pray for you to intervene in our lives the way you intervene in Esther, giving her wisdom, giving her favor, giving her her life, saving, protecting her and protecting your people. You brought about salvation for your people. We'll get into the details next week in the, in the story to come in the, in the final chapters. But through Esther's request, you have saved your people and you have vanquished their enemy in Haman, pretty dramatically, pretty poetically, pretty perfectly, perfectly. And so many times the results of our own sin match, uh, match the occurrence of our sin so perfectly. I pray that you would, um, well, okay, let me back up. And as, as I'm thinking through this, Mordecai and Esther aren't perfect people, weren't perfect people. And our job here isn't to judge whether they were corrupted by their society or how religious they were. Or, and our job isn't really even to want to model ourselves after them. But certainly there are things in our lives that we can, uh, that, that we could use from their behavior. Esther's courage, Mordecai's faith, Mordecai's truth speaking, and Esther's wisdom. Esther's willingness to sacrifice herself on behalf of her people, her willing to lay down her own life for the good of others. Build righteousness and faith into our lives and root out all the Haman-like features, the pride and the self-centeredness and the desire for power, the desire for more, the constant desire for more. Root all that out and build righteousness into us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found it helpful. If you are watching the broadcast on the Grace and Gravel Road Facebook page, I appreciate you joining me, whether you are here in uh, live or uh, catching it on the replay. Thank you for, for being here with me. If you're catching it on the podcast, I appreciate you being with us in that format. And either way, if this has meant something to you, if it's your first time or a hundredth time, share this show with a friend. We would really appreciate it. The best way to support a maker is to introduce your friends to them. Prague Scripture is brought to you by Grace in the Gravel Road. We help women grow a God-first life. And my heart is that as we pray together, as we do this each week, that we will grow in our prayer lives, that God will use this time to direct your heart in your circumstances as he directs mine. I hope that he answers these prayers in mighty ways, but most of all, I pray that we would all fall deeper in love with the God who gave us these words. Amen. Amen.